You are here on our, our last week of our Seek First series. Um, and we started this series because we're going through the book of John. And as we're going through John, we saw him feed the 5,000, basically proving that he can provide materially all that you need. Um, and in Matthew, he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll give you everything you need. Because people were worrying about food and clothing. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep all those things, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and you'll get those things too. The second week, we looked at spiritual fulfillment. This was last week. We looked at God has set eternity in our hearts, that each of us has, at least when we were young, we had a desire for the fantastic, and we have eternity in our hearts. We know, intuitively, we know there's something more, and I mean, we get good at pushing that out, but even that desire, Jesus will fulfill. So he'll fulfill our physical needs. He'll fulfill our spiritual needs as we seek him first. And now this week, it's called Seek First for Dummies. Because if you're like me, sometimes you need instructions with pictures and things like that. So yeah, if you ever get like a, a chair or something from Ikea or one of those places and you want to put it together, the pictures are the easiest. You just follow the pictures. And so that's kind of what we want to do today is get some pictures of what does it look like to seek first. Because Jesus said... Seek me first, and you'll get the things that you need. So then what does seeking first look like? That's what we're going to cover today. So as I was preparing this, I got thinking, have you ever sought after something? Have you ever had something that you really, really wanted, and you pursued it? I thought of my, my brother-in-law, and I'm not sure if he's going to listen to this, but my brother-in-law, uh, before he married my sister, was working building the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. Um, and the way they did it was they lived in these barracks, uh, and they worked, I think he said, up to 70 hours a week. They just worked, worked, worked. So they made decent money, they made good overtime, and they worked nonstop. Uh, they didn't have a lot of time to even go into the city and do anything fun. But what he had, he said, by his bed, he had a picture of a motorcycle. And that was his incentive to keep going. Now, he was a good, strong Christian man, but he needed something to work for. And so that's what he wanted. He wanted this motorcycle. And so he would work really hard and save his money, wouldn't do a lot of vacations, those things. He, he was making the right priorities so that he could get this motorcycle. Now, what happened was he married my sister and he didn't get his motorcycle. Um, he got her instead and she's way better. But, <laughs> but have you ever had something that you wanted and you worked your life in a way that you would get whatever it was you were pursuing. Maybe it was your spouse. You know, maybe, uh, I don't know, if you were like me, when it was time to do the whole get married thing, it's like, okay, ring, and how much are you supposed to spend on that? And okay, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to have ramen and potatoes for a month so I can buy this dang ring. But anyway, you, you do these things. <laughs> if there's, Well worth it, well worth it. <laughs> but that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at today, is Jesus worth it? Is the kingdom worth it? This week, we had our group on Monday night, um, and we only got through one question. <laughs> we got through the first question, and it took up the whole time, and it was great conversation. But a lot of us, I think we're feeling the same thing, and, and the thing that God has been telling me as I've been studying this, by the way, if you know, pastors don't just know everything and get up and teach. God teaches us first, and then we share it. And so he's been teaching me through this, Derek, I'm enough. Derek, I'm enough. Am I enough? Is Jesus enough? Or is it Jesus and something else? Do I want Jesus and money? Jesus and fame? Jesus and whatever? And Jesus has been telling me, Derek, I'm enough. I'm enough. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, really. Is Jesus enough? And the big idea is this. The kingdom of God is of greater value than anything else. 
And it's worth whatever it takes to get it. It's worth whatever it takes to get it. That's the big idea. If you get nothing else, get that. We're going to hit that as we keep going through. But we're going to be looking in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 13. I know we're taking a jump away from John, but Matthew, Jesus lays it out very clearly. Uh, page, look at that, page 908 and 909 in the Bible in front of you. We encourage you to follow along. If you would follow along in your Bible or in your phone, open up your phone or, or whatever it is, but follow along so that you're seeing the words. There's something powerful about the written word and you looking at it. My job is really to just help you understand what's here and how to apply it. I'm not going to give you anything special that I see that nobody else sees. My job is to show you the word and help you understand it. So that's what we're looking at. And we're looking at life. You know, Jesus can provide all that we need. And how can this become reality? If you're a note taker, this is in your notes. The abundant life is found by the person who seeks for it in Jesus and is willing to do anything to possess it. So look at Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. There are two parables that fit right together, and Jesus says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Lord Jesus Christ, your kingdom is worth more than we can imagine. Uh, we don't even fully understand it. I pray that you would help us understand it. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, be present with us. Be glorified as we worship you now with our minds, with our hearts. But I pray that we would understand what you're trying to communicate to us in your word, that we would experience the life that you have for us for now and for eternity, that we would not be like the Pharisees that knew the word, but it made no difference in their lives. I pray that we would not be just religious, but that we would know you and love you. And I know, Jesus, as we pursue you, if we do it with an honest heart, with a humble heart, you're going to show some things in us that are off. Uh, and you tell us you love us at the same time, but you're, you're going to expose to us our sin, you're going to point us the way to go, and then we have a choice. Are we going to go that way? And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be strong in each of us, that we would go your way, and that you would use us for your glory, not for us. A lot of times we can think that, that this Christian life, that we pursue you just for what we get out of it, but that's not it. Although we get great things. I mean, the benefits are amazing, but Jesus, it's about you. You're worth it. You're worth it. Let us understand that. In Jesus' name, amen. So here are these two parables. These two parables fit together. Now, Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus had been telling parables all day. He had been speaking to the crowds, which included non-believers, religious leaders, those against him. But now at this point, he has retreated and he's with just his 12 disciples, 11 who are genuine, one who is Judas, who, you know, betrayed him later. But these are his, his closest friends. And so I think that's important to know who he's speaking to with these parables. It's not to the crowd. So these are people who had already basically said, we're all in with you. We're all in with you. We don't fully get it, but you have the words of eternal life and we'll go your way. So this is who he's speaking to. And he's telling parables. A parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a spiritual meaning. Jesus was really, really good at this. 
I think he would just be talking to a crowd and he'd see something and go, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard plant. There's probably a mustard plant right there. It starts small and it grows so big, birds can nest in it. The kingdom of heaven, and he just, that's the way he taught. And here is another kingdom of heaven parable, two of them. And he's been saying this over and over. The kingdom of heaven is like such and such, which is not exactly like any of that, but it's kind of like that. And that's what he's doing now with these parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Now, real quick, before we get into these, what is the kingdom? We need to understand the kingdom. If you're part of Common Ground ground, or you're coming here, our mission statement is to expand the kingdom of God in our hearts and the world around us. So what's the kingdom? The kingdom is the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom. In a kingdom, the king has complete sovereignty. That's the kingdom. Where Jesus is in control, we are submitted to him in our hearts, which means, what do you say in, in Matthew? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness which means we become more like Jesus. This is holiness. This is the hardest part, (laughs) at least for a lot of us, becoming more like Jesus. Because as he shows some things in our hearts, we go, ah, that doesn't fit. So we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We become more like Jesus. So that's why we say expanding the kingdom of God in our hearts, meaning we become more like Jesus. We don't stay the same. If you've been a Christian for very long and you're the same as you were a year ago, there's something not quite right. You should be changing. And so we're, and that's the kingdom expanding in us. I'm becoming more and more submitted to Jesus as Lord. And then spreading out, expanding the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. That's our mission, to take that out. So that's the kingdom. And here he says, seek first the kingdom. Now, all of this is going to culminate in a very, very real physical kingdom. And I, you need to understand that. It's not going to be some mystical place on a cloud somewhere where, where we try and get our guitars working all the time. What it's going to be <laughs> is heaven and earth collide. Jesus is going to rule. We're going to have bodies, by the way, not just spirits floating around. We're going to have bodies, and it's going to be sweet. So the kingdom is going to exist forever. He's really going to restore what he did at Eden. You know, in the Garden of Eden, things were perfect. He, he made everything good. So the eternal kingdom is going to go on forever with him. But it starts here in our hearts. So that's the kingdom. And so he's saying, what is the kingdom like? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure and a pearl. A treasure and a pearl. Look at these these parables. Look at these verses, 44 through 46. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. A treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes, sells all he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Today is great because we're only covering three verses. But the, the, the kingdom is like something of great value that you will give anything to possess. Treasure, pearl. The first, we're going to see three steps. This is kingdom life for dummies, okay? Three steps to the kingdom life. You know, there's the, you got to put the screw here and then the bolt there and then it's all together. Three steps today. The first, you see, is recognizing the value. Recognize the value of the kingdom. Uh, you see the, the man in the, in the field, what he does, and this was actually something that could happen. It didn't happen all the time, but this is something that could happen then. In the area of Palestine, if you read through the Old Testament, you see there were wars happening all the time. They were invaded, they were kicked out, they were exiled. This stuff happened all the time. And so what they would do, they wouldn't take their money and put it in Wells Fargo Bank. A lot of times they would take their money, they would put it in a jar, and they would bury it somewhere. 
And then they'd go do whatever they're doing, or they'd get exiled, and they'd, they'd come back and dig it up, and they'd have their, their treasure. But if that happens, and you go off and die, there's a treasure buried in the field. So this is something that could happen. And so here's the idea is of a day worker. And he's working in a field, he's going along, and he trips over something, he looks back, and there's a treasure. You know, he uncovers it, and he finds a jar full of gold, or whatever it is. He buries it up, and he goes, sells everything, and he buys the field. Because he recognized the value of the treasure. He knew what it was. Or the same, the merchant. The other one, it's a little bit different. This guy stumbles upon it, right? He just stumbles on it. He's like, whoa, that's of great value. I want that. The pearl, he's a merchant. He's an expert in pearls. And he's looking, and he finds one. He says, this one is unique. I've never seen a pearl like this. And he sells everything, and he buys it. He knows the value. He's an expert. He knows the value of the pearl. This is our first step. Recognize the value. Do you understand the value of Jesus Christ, the value of the kingdom. And often we don't. We're going to keep coming back to this, but let this mull around in your head. Do you recognize the value? The value of the kingdom of heaven. Now, when I was a kid, um, maybe you were like this, I wanted to find a buried treasure. In fact, I got through a phase where I would actually bury treasure. I would find things around the house that I thought would be valuable someday, and I'd put them in a box, and I'd go bury them. I blame the movie Goonies for this. I would bury it, and then I would get a, a news, not a newspaper, a, a paper bag, a brown paper bag, and I'd draw a map, and I'd crumple it up, and I'd step on it, and I'd get it dirty, and then I'd put it in a jar, and I'd walk in the yard, and I'd close my eyes, and I'd throw the jar backwards into like the little forest, hoping I would find it like many years later, and go, ooh, and follow it, and find this treasure, ooh. It always lasted like one week. The next week, I'd be bored, and I'd go dig it up, and I'd pretend to follow the treasure, and my parents would see me in the back, like, stepping it off. But <laughs> maybe you did that. You guys are laughing like you didn't do that. Okay. <laughs> maybe this. Where we lived, we lived near National Forest. Way back in the woods, we would ride horses. Well, I wouldn't. My family would. I would ride a bike or a motorcycle. But I found back there a ditch full of trash. It had been a junk pile from who knows when, 40s, 50s, 30s, I don't know. But that's where somebody used to dump all their trash. And I found this, and I would go, and I would just dig through it. And I would find old jars and old bottles and things like that. And I would always, I'd gather them up, and I'd bring them back and go, is this a value? Nope. Is this a value? Uh, that's from like two years. You know, I was looking for something of value, but I didn't know if it was going to be valuable. There was a guy that worked for my dad who collected bottles and jars. And so he would take some of them. He's like, yeah, there's some value there. That's kind of cool. But that's not the same as this. They found this treasure, this pearl, and they knew it had value. They knew it had value. Understand that. When somebody comes exposed to Jesus Christ, exposed to the kingdom, and they get it, they understand the value. This is not somebody who's like, I'm trying out Christianity. This is somebody who sees Jesus and gets it. I know the value. These people knew the value and what is the value? Uh, you know, I, I'm tempted to go all day on just this, but I'm not going to. But wh what is the value of the kingdom? You know, as a kid, I took, I took my Christian life for granted. I, I gave my life to Christ when I was probably, well, five and then eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. I mean, just like you at camp, I got scared every year. But I think it was genuine the first time. But I took it for granted until I decided I was actually going to live it. You know, James 1, be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. At first, I remember being in high school thinking, you know what? I'm a Christian. Yes, I have my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. But I also want these other things, whether it's popularity, um, a girlfriend, you know, I also want what the world has to offer. And then something in me clicked and I go, no, I want to live 
like Jesus. I want to glorify him and I want to make a difference for him. Then I started trying and then I really got depressed because I couldn't do it. No matter how bad I wanted just to be good in my own strength, I couldn't do it. That's when I started to understand the value because the value was Jesus said, I accept you not for how good you are, not for what you can do in your own strength. God says, I accept you because of Jesus. You're done. I mean, it was like God would speak to me, Derek, I love you, not because of what you can do, because of Jesus. You're accepted. What about all this? You get everything. You get all the benefits of being my son now, done, sold, because of Jesus. That's the value. For me, I started to understand grace. And I related to Paul, where Paul writes in Romans, that which I don't want to do, I do. That which I don't want to do, I, I keep doing. And I got that. It's like, oh, that's where grace comes in. Because Paul follows that, says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the value. So there's the value of Jesus, not only the forgiveness and the grace, but then his life in us. So I want to be good, only him through me. And then I want to make a difference, only him through me. <laughs> so I get none of the credit for any of that. But that's the value then is the Holy Spirit is given to us and we have his life. So there's value here in this life for this. One of the things that stuck out to me as I was studying this is I get the, I get the value of the treasure, right? You stumble across it. Okay, I'm going to go sell everything I have to get more. I'm going to sell everything to get this. That's going to be worth $3 million, whatever. I get that. But the pearl, that's the one that started rattling. Why would you sell everything to have a pearl? Now you're homeless and hungry and you're like, I got a pearl. <laughs> it can't feed you unless you go sell it and use the money, but then you don't have the pearl anymore. And I think here's the point, and this kind of actually hit me last night as I was just meditating on this. I think that's the point. We often want to go to Jesus for what we get. But the real seeking, when you really find, you recognize the value of Jesus, you go to him for who he is. And he's enough. And that's, that's, this is the message God is telling me. Maybe he's telling you too. He's enough. Just having the pearl. There's no pragmatic benefits to the pearl. Jesus is enough in and of himself. Do you realize that? Jesus is God in flesh. He came. He died for you and me because he loved us. He rose from the dead in a new body, went to heaven, and now has given himself to you. He's enough. He's enough. Just walking around saying, I've got Jesus is enough. That's the treasure. I'm tempted to try and convince you that I'm right, but I'm right. <laughs> the only possession that makes us truly rich is God himself. You can have everything and not have Jesus and you're poor. Listen to this quote. I don't even know where it came from. Here is the treasure that will make you rich because it will pay your debts and endow you with capacity enough to meet all future expenditure. The possession of the forgiving and cleansing grace of God which is in Jesus Christ. If you have that, you are rich. If you do not possess it, you are poor. Jesus is the treasure of ultimate value. Jesus is the treasure of ultimate value. That's why we're studying John. We're a church plant. We're young. Why are we studying John? Because we need Jesus. And if we don't have Jesus, we can do the church thing. You can do the church thing. Do you know that? Without Jesus. But we need Jesus. That's why we're going through John. We want to get to know him because he's enough. But now here's something else. Understand the kingdom, the treasure. There's a kingdom to come, which we talked about. It's worth it. This kingdom that's going to come, it's going to be worth it. Now, 
Point number two that we see, one is you recognize the value. Once you recognize the value, you give up everything to possess the kingdom life. You give up everything. The man with the treasure. So picture that. This man, he's working in the field. He comes back that night, and he just ransacks the house. He's like, we're selling this. My, my favorite motorcycle, takes it out for sale, sells that. The, his baseball collection, you know, from when he was a kid, pulls that out of the attic, dusts it off, puts it on eBay. And his wife is like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're selling everything white, you know, the car, gone, everything, gone. We're going to go to Hawaii, all that money? We're putting it here. We're buying, why? Because there's a tr- I found something of greater value than all of this. And he went all in. He sold everything to possess it. Same with the pearl. Give up everything to possess the kingdom. Now, the temptation here as we look at these parables is to think what Jesus is saying is that salvation will cost you. You'll have to buy it. That's not the point. The point is not that you earn your salvation. That's not it at all. It's a free gift. The point is the value of the kingdom. That's the point. And when you understand the value, you will give up everything to possess it. You'll give up everything to have the kingdom, to have Jesus Christ. And there is a cost. And Jesus said it elsewhere. He says, you know, if you're not willing to give up everything, take up your cross daily. That means die to yourself and follow me. You're not worthy to be my disciple. But I think this point's a little different than that point. Although they're similar, I think this point is the cost, but that you will give up everything because of the love because of the joy that you see. So what is the cost? Have you ever thought about that? What is the cost? To really seek first, because that's our topic here. Seek first the kingdom. What's the cost? I'm reading a book uh, by a guy who turned, went from, he was a Muslim guy, who actually was researching and, and uh, you know, comparing the religions and realized Christianity not only has the best answers, but it also answers the questions of the heart. So it's intellectual and heartfelt, and so he converted from Islam to Christianity. He said, but you Westerners don't understand the cost of that. In the East, the cost is everything. The cost could be your life. The cost is probably your family. Uh, I was listening to it last night. I'm listening to it audio. But he he went to, now he's a Christian, um, and he goes around, he teaches and whatever, but there was a Muslim man on his deathbed dying, an older man, been a Muslim all his life, and he goes to visit this man. And he sits down, and the man is asking questions, and he's given him all these great answers of why Christianity and not Islam. And in the end, he's just not, it's not enough. It's not enough. And so he asks him about his family. And they start talking about his family and his kids. He's hoping that his kids will come visit before he dies because they're all he has in the world. And then it kind of struck him as he's talking. He said, what would happen if you did convert to Christianity? I'd lose my kids. I would die with nothing because I wouldn't have my kids. So he, he said, so here, it's not the intellectual issue you have. It's what you'll have to give up. He would have to give up his family. What's the cost for us? If we're going to seek first, what's the cost? Purity? That's a cost. Purity? Fidelity? The cost may be financially, putting in first, it may be no cable. <laughs> it may be an older car. What's, what's the cost? The cost in high school, some of you are in high school, it may be popularity. You know, I remember that. You, you get two out there, oh, you're a Jesus freak now. You know, go to church on Sunday and go to youth group, and that's cool, but if you're going to be a Jesus freak at school, you're not cool. You're pop- what are you going to have to give up? Is it worth it? Amy's nodding, yeah? Oh, you're prom queen or homecoming queen, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's not a cost in Douglas, but, but, but what's the cost? 
it's worth it. It's worth it. Why then? And here's the question that hit me. Why? Why don't we see this more? Why is it so hard to find an all-in Christian? Someone who truly seeks first at all times. Why? I blame our Western society partly. (laughs) Partly the way we grew up. We want Jesus and what the world has to offer. We want the American dream and Jesus. I wanted Jesus in high school and a hot girlfriend and being popular and whatever. We want Jesus and wealth. Not Jesus is enough. And so we have to make these decisions day in and day out, don't we? We've, we've talked a lot about giving, but here it is. When you, okay, are we going to give 10% tithe? Whatever it is between you and God, we're going to give this. Okay, if we do at the first, we have to give up this. Is it worth it? Most of the time, Christians will say, no, it's not worth it. Or it's worth half that. Uh, a missions trip. Maybe you feel, you know, Zach's going on a big missions trip. Um, we're going to hear about it soon. It's going to be awesome. But that's a week of, of uh, you know, leave time. If you're going to go on a missions trip, okay, I can use my leave time to go on this super awesome vacation here or to go on a missions trip. That costs. That, is it worth it? Is it worth giving that up for the kingdom, whatever God calls you to do? I got thinking as I was reading this, has anybody seen it? Seen the kingdom? Think back. Did anybody in Scripture actually see the kingdom? See what was to come? At least two, Paul and the Apostle John. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, we're not going to turn there, but, but Paul, because Paul doesn't talk much about it, but Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, he says, I know a man who was caught up to the third heaven. That's heaven, by the way. Uh, he was caught up, he's like, in the flesh or the spirit, I don't know, and he saw things that he can't tell about. He's talking about himself. Paul had an experience where somehow he was brought up into the presence of God, into the heaven, and he got to see it and heard things. And God said, it was Jesus, Jesus said, oh, and you can't tell anybody what you just saw. But John did. John wrote down a lot of what he saw. So Paul comes back. What happened to Paul? What, look at Paul's life. Paul is arguably the greatest missionary to ever exist, to ever live. And he endured shipwrecks, beatings, you know, several times he was beaten like, like Jesus was. You know, the, the 39 lashes because 40 was the death penalty, so he got 39. Not, he was beaten. He was stoned once. He was stoned, and they, they drug, drug his body out of the city thinking he was dead. They left him there. His people came around him, and he got up, and he's like, okay, <laughs> and wanted to go back in the city. They said, no, they will kill you this time. I mean, this is the life of Paul. Why do you think he was so gung-ho? He saw it. He knew the value. I mean, we get a glimpse of it, but he really saw, whoa, he really saw the value. And he wrote this in Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Polycarp. Polycarp was the last man who was a disciple of a disciple. So one of the 12, Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle, the Apostle John. Polycarp was, I think, 85, 86. He was 86 uh, when he was finally martyred and killed for Jesus. But the Romans were looking for Polycarp, and they found him, and they brought him at 86 years old. They brought him in front of the people, and they were going to kill him. And, and 
the story goes that when, when he was brought in before the people, a voice came and said, Polycarp, play the man. And others heard it. They don't know where the voice came from. You know, maybe it was a guy back there, but the idea was that that was Jesus speaking to him. Polycarp, play the man. And so he goes in and they start threatening him. And they're trying to get him to renounce Jesus. And Polycarp says this, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? So they threatened him with wild animals. They have, so we have wild animals here. They're going to tear you apart. <laughs> Here's what he said. Bring it on. What are you waiting for? You threaten me with fire. So they, then they, they, after the animals, they say, well, we're going to burn you alive then. He says, you threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour, and then it's extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. And they killed him. I can't help but think that at some point he and John were sitting there and John described what we see in Revelation, but maybe even deeper. Because John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he had a vision of the future of the kingdom. And I think Polycarp heard the stories and it's like, it's worth it. It is worth it. We're going to feed you the animals. Bring it on. <laughs> We're going to burn you alive. Okay. That's because you don't understand the, the fires of hell. I do. <laughs> or what's to come. When you understand the value, it's worth it. You'll go all in. Polycarp did. John the Baptist did. All the disciples did. So what does it mean to seek first? What does it mean to seek first? This is code. It actually means seek first. It means seek first. He wasn't joking. It means put him first in all things at all times. Put him first. This is in your notes. Intentionally pursue Jesus with all that you are, with your first and best. So I, I was able to uh, let Bethany borrow, or Bethany let me borrow her glasses. What are glasses used for? To, to correct vision? Ooh. <laughs> they change the way things appear. You know, here it's normal for me. Here, you guys look funny. Um, but for somebody else, it makes, for Bethany, things get clearer as she puts these on. Seeking first the kingdom at all times is wearing Jesus glasses. You put on the glasses and things look different. Okay, we have a decision to make. What are we going to do with, with this money? Well, let's put on our Jesus glasses and never take them off. Now, let's see this through kingdom lenses. We're going to see this his way. Okay, I, I have this decision to make with a friend. Uh, this is one of those costs that we might have to give up is singleness. You know, you hear that all the time, especially from girls. Oh, there's no good Christian guys out there. Um, well, you know what? Maybe that's something to, to give up for now. It's worth it because as you put on the Christian glasses, oh, I'm not going to sacrifice in that area. Jesus lenses is how we seek him first. Everything we look at, we don't compartmentalize. Somebody shared that very insightfully in our group this week. They said, you know, it's like, it's like Jesus is, I picture like an orange, slices of an orange. And so you have all these different slices, and this is your life. It's split up into these slices, and Jesus is in parts of them rather than all of them. Like he's the juice in, oh, that's good. <laughs> you know, he's in all of it. <laughs> Feel free to use that. <laughs> but is he in all things? Jesus' glasses, seeking him first. I don't want to mess these up. Probably stretched them with my fat head. Seeking first means putting him first in all things. Jeremiah 29. 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
when you seek me with all your heart. The word used for seek there in Matthew, when he says seek first the kingdom, it means an intense looking for, searching. So I have a, a squeeze ball, one of those stress balls, because um, I'm ADD or whatever, I really like squeezing it, but I lose it all the time. It's lost right now. Um, but I don't spend much time, I actually have four of them, and they're all lost. But I, I don't spend much time looking for them. But, you know, like, I'll be climbing into bed or whatever. I'm looking for my slippers, and it's down there. So, you know, I'll lift up the bed skirt, and, oh, there's my slipper. And since I'm down here, is the squeeze ball down here? No. <laughs> you know, I'll climb into the truck to go to work, and, okay, I'm here. i got to lean over and get a cup of water or the bottles of water I have in the back. While I'm leaning over, is the squeeze ball? Nope. It's not. You know, so I'm not really out looking for it, but, yeah, when it's convenient, I'll glance around for it, and I can't find it. Last week or two weeks ago, I lost my wallet. And I went a whole day without my wallet. And so I came home and I'm like, okay, I thought it would just show up and I couldn't find my wallet. So I cleaned the room, kind of. <laughs> I didn't find my wallet. So I went out and I cleaned the truck. Couldn't find my wallet. I went in. I had already looked in the couch, but this time I took the couch and I flipped it over. And that's a scary thing to do. It's, you know, <laughs> you know. I flipped it over and I searched diligently for my wallet. And then we flipped it back and whatever and Carrie's like, we're, where was it last time? I said, I was sitting right there, and she was sitting right there, and she's like, oh, here it is. <laughs> I said, oh, when I flipped it over, it lodged it out, you know, unlodged it. But we were searching. I was looking for it. The problem is often in the Christian life, we seek for God, we seek for Jesus and the kingdom like we do my missing squeeze ball when it's convenient. You know, I will, I'll go to the Bible. I'll read, I'll spend some time with Jesus if my Bible happens to be sitting there when I sit down. Um, I will go to church if it's convenient that day. If my alarm, you know, I'm not setting my alarm for Sunday, but if I wake up in time, I'll go. Uh, you know, if, if somebody asks me how I'm doing, um, maybe I'll, I'll confess my sin and share. Rather than seeking out a Christian brother or sister that you can confess your sin, we often approach our Christian life as if it's not a big deal. When it's convenient, rather than like the missing wallet or your keys, you don't stop till you find it. That's the seeking that we need. It's placing him first. It's making those commitments and following through on them. Psalm 63.1 says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Is this how we seek for God? So we recognize the value and then we sell everything. We do anything necessary to possess it. You see the value of Jesus and you go all in. You put him first in all things. And notice how you do it. Look back at, at the verses. In verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Here's a key. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he buys, all he has and buys the field. In his joy, it is joy to put him first. The man with the pearl. He was excited to have the pearl in his joy. The Christian life is not begrudging obedience. It is joyful submission of everything. It isn't, oh, fine, you know, I'll give up cable. And No, it's, we don't need cable. Look what we can do with this. You know, we can help Jack go to Africa and bring water. You know, I'm so excited about what God is doing here. I want to give to that. I, I want to be part of this. I'm so excited about hearing from God that I'll get up early, I'll give up some sleep, I'll get up early, expectantly go to the Word to hear from Him. Earnestly we seek with joy. 
If it's a chore to pursue God, something's missing. Something's missing if it's a chore, meaning you don't understand the value or you're not internalizing the value. So here's what you do. When it's a chore, you do it anyway, and you pray for God to give you the right heart with it. You do it anyway, but you pray, you go get to know Jesus. If, if your Christian life is a struggle, you need to get to know Jesus, because Jesus is the treasure. So then spend some time with Jesus. Pray that he'll show you something from his word and go there. Help, ask him to change your heart, and he will, and he will. But that's part of seeking it out. Matthew 4, 4. It says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We saw last week Jesus saying, eat me, <laughs> feast on me. And we must live not just on bread, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We find that in the Bible. That is expectantly going to the Bible. Do you do that? Do you pray, God, I want you to show me something today. What do I need? And then you open up the Bible and you read and you listen. Or do you go, hey, I'm doing this read through the Bible in a year thing, and I got to read through all this, and you just go, and when it's done, you don't, I don't remember what I read, but I did it, woohoo, that's religion. But putting Jesus first is expecting him to speak to you. Seeking first requires regular time with Jesus in the word and in prayer, as well as making his priorities our priorities and the use of our time and finances. You see time there twice, Time with Jesus, that's our up relationship, and that's first priority. Time with Jesus, and then time spent serving Him, whether that's at church, over here with the kids, um, in youth group, whatever it is, it's time investing in His kingdom work. And it's not legalism. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what's been sticking out to me in the seek first. Is Jesus enough? And the verse keeps coming to my mind, be still and know that I'm God. But when I'm being still, I'm not accomplishing anything. <laughs> well, am I enough? Yeah, you're enough. Then be still and know that I am God. Seek me first. Hebrews eleven six. 6. I memorized this one to a song. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. He will reward those who diligently seek him. It is a, we want instant gratification. I think that's often why we don't put God first. Okay, it's this pleasure here, this instant gratification, or it's this one kind of now, but really later in heaven. Well, I want it now. <laughs> but we seek first the kingdom, understanding that later he's gonna share his glory with us. It's going to be worth it. It is worth it. Complete sacrifice is completely worth it because we will come into full possession of the treasure. This man sold everything and he got the treasure. The other one with the pearl, he sold everything and he got the pearl. Matthew 19, 29 says this, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. We got to be careful. This isn't going to Jesus for just what he gives us back. But guess what? He's going to give us back, what do he say? A hundredfold. It's worth it. It's worth it. But then you start doing it, you fall in love with Jesus, and you're fine just holding him like the pearl. I got Jesus. Woohoo. And that's enough. Place him first in everything. 
When you're hesitant, look to the treasure, remember, remember the value. He's worth it. Now, I wanted to, to end with an application. So um, I asked Paul to come share their story because I, I was thinking, you know, what does it look like to really seek first now? And I think the Ingram family is a good example, you know, uh, to be in high school and to leave the school you're in willingly and move across the country for a mother with her four kids. Um, so I asked Paul, and this isn't to, to make them famous, but I do want you to know their story. And I think they're a good example of what it means to seek first. That one works. That one works. <laughs> what does it mean to seek first? Um, do, you want, do you want this? I just feel better holding a guitar. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to use it for a while, but I wanted to hold it. Hold it? It's like a security blanket. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Well, since, uh, since moving to Carson City, I've gotten to answer this question quite a bit, and that is, why? What brought you to Nevada? Why
And so, similar to those parables we looked at today, at that point, when we realized that's what God wanted, the rest was just details. Um, is it hard to sit your teenage son down and explain to them that you're going to move 2,000 miles away? Absolutely. I dreaded that conversation. Um, is it hard to start over in your relationships? Absolutely. Um, is it tough to enter a housing market where finding a house is going to take a little bit of time and the six of us are in an apartment? Uh, yeah, that's a little challenging. Um, but you do what God wants you to do in order to see what God wants to accomplish and to get to be part of what God wants to accomplish. And I wouldn't change a thing. Um, it's amazing. The things that I was worried about, God has already figured out. Um, and he's already prepared the hearts like a, a, our sons, Josh and Andrew, that conversation went nothing like I expected it to because God had already prepared their hearts. So when you find a treasure, which I wholeheartedly believe God is crafting here among you, among us at Common Ground, you do whatever it takes to be part of what he's doing um, and to serve him however he uh, tells you he wants you to. So I don't know what the treasure is that God's revealed to you. I don't know what steps he might want you to take in your own life, in your own journey, but I can tell you with complete confidence that following him and being obedient to his leading in your life is always the best path, no matter how scary, no matter how much sense it makes to the world. Um, you always want to say yes to what God calls you to do. So maybe today that's uh, saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, and you want to know how to do that, you can head to the prayer room um, as we worship uh, or as we conclude things today, there'll be people in there that would love to talk to you. You can also use the program. You can fill that out. You can ask for prayer. You can let us know you want more information about what it means to follow Jesus or join in a group, whatever it may be that you want to do, that you feel like God wants you to do next. You can tear that off and, and put it in the box at the back as a way of response. But I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue to worship. Um, and I would just ask you, you know, search your heart. There's so many times that God says, do this, and we say, that sounds good, but I'm going to wait. Or, I don't know how this detail would work, God. I'm not going to do it just yet. And so maybe there's something on your heart today, and you would be ready to just say yes to what he wants you to do. Uh, God, I just thank you for today. I thank you that we can have the opportunity to serve you that there are things in our life that make us feel unworthy, but through your son Jesus, we can be forgiven. We can stand without fear to serve you and to follow you, knowing that your way is the best way. We can have confidence because we see in your word how you've, you've come through over and over throughout history for those that seek you with all their heart. And so God, I pray that today, if there's those in this room that are wondering if it's worth it, that you would just reveal to them the incredible truth that it is. If there's those in this room today, God, that are holding back from you, I pray that they would lay those things at your feet and that they would follow you with all their heart. And God, if, especially if there's someone today that has wondered about following your son, Jesus, about making him Lord, that today would be the day they find that answer. They have that conversation that they seek you and make you Lord of their life. So God, we continue to worship you. We respond to you. We say yes to you in these next few moments. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. You unravel me. Let's stand and sing together. With the melody, you surround me with the song of deliverance from my enemy. 